Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the School of School podcast. And we're here today. We've got Adam and Robin, as per normal. And we've got a special guest today, Darian, Darian Allen. Um, Darian, just take a moment and maybe just introduce yourself to our audience. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm Darian. I uh, teach at a independent school in West Vancouver called Collingwood. I've uh, been teaching for 20 years in the public and private sector, and I love teaching, obviously, love learning, and uh, have had a really, what well, what I think is a, a interesting journey, both formal and uh, informal um, education and professional development along the way. So uh, I'm really happy to be here and to have a conversation. Fantastic. So today we're going to talk about... Uh, spiraling curriculum you know when i think of a spiral curriculum i usually go back and think about jerome bruner that's my kind of where i go back to but maybe darren from your perspective what when you're talking about spiraling curriculum what what do you what are you talking about what do you mean this comes back to i have i have a colleague who teaches at at a local school as well um and he recommended a book to me uh called make it stick and that's uh brown rodiger and mcdaniel but um and it's, it's essentially, it brings in the cognitive science of learning. There's sort of four principles there. Um, and one of the ways that you can get at those four principles is by, is by spiraling the curriculum. And so what I'm talking about with spiraling is you are, in, in, with mathematics, you are coming back to topics again and again and building on them rather than the very traditional way that mathematics is taught, which is in every almost every, a workbook or textbook, unit one. Uh, Okay, we're going to do integers. Then we're going to do fractions. Then we're going to do this. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard um, students say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot this entire unit. I don't remember anything because we did it five months ago. Uh, And so really what this is, is it builds on that one of the one of the principles is um, spacing is just coming back to things again and again, spacing and hitting things multiple times. And so that's my interpretation of a spiral is you are circling back to things multiple times and really just building every time on the, on the student's understanding. So uh, I, I started doing this with, on a very small scale with one class a few years ago uh, and found that it was, it was helpful. It was, it was actually a calculus class. And so I taught all the principles of calculus with just one type of function with polynomials and then went through again and taught kind of the special cases. And this is very informal because I didn't conduct formal research on it or collect evidence. But like I felt that when we circled back that that really helped students. They're like, oh, right, I saw this. And, And that second spiral was much faster and students seemed to, oh, right, okay, yeah. And it had them practicing in 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 a in an ideal world that last spiral would be students would just like you know you might add on one or two tiny things but everything is fresh for them rather than at the end of the year doing this full review package so that 
in my experience has been good. This I'm actually really excited. This summer is the first time um, I'm teaching and uh, I'm co-teaching a summer institute. So I'm teaching Math 10, which is uh, 15, 16 year olds, where we fully spiraled the curriculum. Um, this year, uh, my co-teacher had taught it and actually the entire group taught Math 9 spiraled and found it to be quite uh again don't have the data um but found it for their perspective to be amazing right because then they they really liked it that it changed up every day the students were um had the opportunity over time to revisit things because it is it's developmental like these these seeing something again you know a month from now and having to retrieve it and having to not relearn it, but build on it, is incredibly supported by evidence, um, by the research. This is, I'm quoting Make It Stick, and there's another book called Powerful Teaching. If I look at elementary school, primary school mathematics, I can't imagine trying to teach the topics, you know, the content without, you know, applying a spiral to it, because you need to revisit the topics over and over and over again at, at increasing levels of complexity. You, you know, you mentioned fractions is one thing. I mean, fractions, the concept of fractions starts very early, you know, but and, and a, in a kind of a simplistic, you know, a simplistic way, um, halves and quarters, equal parts, you know, to doing operations with, with fractions later on, which is quite actually conceptually difficult to understand for a lot of people, especially when you get into division and fractions and division just seems to throw everybody. And unless you did it in a spiral way, the, the best you could hope for is that people would just have an instrumental understanding. Like they could just say, oh, if you want to define a fraction by another fraction, you need to find, you know, all there's all kinds of tricks, you know, and, and they may have jargon in them or they may just be really simplified, like whatever it is, but it's just a trick. And you just do these things and you get the answer. And, and that's kind of what we resort to. But if you do it in a spiral, you can build up that understanding, those foundations right from the beginning. And, and you've got to, you got to address it at two points. If you want to, let's say, say talking about dividing the fraction by fraction, you've got to, you've got to deal with it when you, do, when you teach division. And you need to deal with it when you teach fractions. And then the two need to coincide at the same time. Because if you don't do that, chances are they'll never understand what you're doing when you divide a fraction by a fraction, right? So that's, and, and the only way to do that is to introduce the topics and spiral them over the years so that you have this crescendo when you hit, and every lesson should be like, or every topic should be kind of a crescendo, right? But in primary school, it's kind of a lot easier, I think, because the nature of the complexity is you can still draw on a lot of concrete examples to illustrate what's happening. By the time you get to high school or secondary, mathematics gets really abstract. You know, never mind when you get to things like calculus and whatever. I mean, there's so much to remember, and there's so many things that you know. Usually, you're just grasping at straws just to, you know, get the knowledge in them. Your hope is that they're going to get it right at the test at the end of the year or at the end of the semester. That we kind of tend to resort to, or it's easy to resort to, just like let's get through this module. Let's just do this module, let's get through it, and then let's forget it, and then let's do this other completely unrelated thing. You know, we're going to jump from geometry to calculus or whatever, or, you know, and, and, and not make any connections between what's going on. It's just like all of a sudden we're doing something entirely different. 
Do you think it's too much to ask for teachers to try to, like, should, should, I mean, how could we solve this? Because this, the reality is, is like, it's a lot of work to sit and think about how, how do we do this? Should teachers be collaborating more? Is there room for somebody else to help? I mean, how, you know, how do we tackle this? Because I feel teachers all too often are just left to their own devices to work this stuff out. And they're already pretty busy. Yeah, especially secondary school, you know, in high school, how many teach, how many students do you have when you teach mathematics? Right? It's not, not like you have, it's not like you have one classroom of teachers, you know, you've got, you know, a lot of kids, right? Anyway, I don't even know what my question is from there. It's just a bit of a rant, <laughs> but I suppose it's like, how, you know, how could we address this really? How do we get momentum with this idea in secondary school where it's so much more difficult? One of the things is, um, I have grade teams, so I happen to be head of head of the math department here, and so I put together teams who would teach a course, and ideally that's like three people, three people teaching all our math eight, three people teaching all our math nine, and so I'll I'll speak to that for a minute. The collaboration that happened, um, just because everyone has different strengths, I have uh, someone who is such an expert on inclusive education and problem-based learning um, where he has these amazing ideas and then there's other people with skills in the group who can develop them and formalize them and grow them and it's so much that just the conversational piece and the collaborative piece is what you like exactly what it is that makes everyone's job easier even though you're putting in a bit more time in terms of like having time to meet. Um, and that's uh, honestly one of the wonderful affordances um, I have and my group had. Um, and so being really intentional about planning their schedules so that they have that time, so that that is a priority. And, and it's, we have to put value on that, on giving teachers time to collaborate, meaningful collaboration. Um, and I, I, one of your previous um guests is is a is a big supporter of that uh for my school so that's that's really helpful um so the collaboration piece is huge but it's also you you don't have anything to build on if you don't have a spark uh and so you need ideas and those ideas come from professional development experiences whether it's uh independent somebody's reading a book um, and so you need to figure out how to curate those and, and provide them to people. Um, they also need to have their own motivation to do that. Uh, and, and, uh, I've, um, and also giving them, inviting them and finding um, opportunities for them to attend ProD. Uh, so in, in BC, we have uh, an association of math teachers uh, who hosts an annual com- conference, which is f- absolutely fabulous. Uh, so my team was, uh, the math team attended that this year. And and that's actually where, um, we learned about, uh, the book, make it stick as a team and were provided with copies of the book from our school and have my math nine team was like, yes, we're doing this. We're planning this and just ran off with it. It was amazing. Um, so having, I've also found in my experience because I've I've worked in a, a the public system for twelve years, and it and and saw the changes there, and it really depends on 
I hate to say this, but it depends on the bar. Like, where's the bar? People will rise to the bar. If, if everyone is doing this, if everyone is interested in like really improving learning and putting in the time and, you know, giving effort and they see that as recognized and valued, then people rise. So that school culture, the support system within the school, the school leadership team, making sure that they're not only promoting and encouraging, but, you know, making it possible. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to find ways to get your teachers to, you know, free up their time or whatever it is to actually get together and collaborate or, you know, do professional development. Um, and if you don't have that as part of your culture in a school, it's, it's not likely to go very far, right? And not all schools, not all schools are great schools, you know? Yeah, and it's not a public versus independent mm. or anything no, like no. that. It's there are there are amazing, amazing teachers mm. in and amazing schools in both systems. And of there course. are there are schools that uh, maybe aren't as supportive um, in both systems. Yeah, and so what happens when you're at one of these amazing schools and then you switch schools and perhaps the culture is different and you know, the teachers aren't being supported in the same way. Is that where you have to rise to the occasion and, and, you know, try and implement that in the culture? Or do you just, you know, what do you do? (laughs) I mean, the short answer is yes, that's what should happen. But that's hard. Like, that's so hard if you're putting in the energy, and you look around and nobody else is. And that's, I mean, it, it is, it's human nature to meet that level of expectation and it's really hard to push yourself and to be completely honest that's part of the reason I ended up where I am um, is because I, I I came in and I saw the culture in the community here and to be in a to be in a, uh, an environment where everybody is so passionate and wanting to do everything they can to help students learn and to help themselves become better teachers, that's that's just, it's incredible, yeah. Yeah, when you see it, it's amazing, yeah. No, I was just gonna say, I think also, I mean, you know, I think ultimately if a school doesn't suit someone, it becomes really hard work, and, and chances are you'll, you'll move schools and you'll go somewhere else. But I also think that you can be slightly subversive too, and I don't mean to sort of topple the, topple the top, <laughs> but I think, like, say with something like a spiral curriculum, and I think to myself, all right, if I'm speaking to someone who has nothing to do with education, but you just want it to make sense. And you often hear in sports teams, elite sports teams, talking about going back and revisiting the basics and making sure that that becomes part of what they do. And I think that, of course, it's, oh, I say of course, but I think it's easier in the primary curriculum, uh, in any given curriculum, whether it's in Canada, the UK, New Zealand, wherever. Um, But trying to spot those really core ideas that, kind of underpin it and and I think that does kind of two things is that if if we know that then we also know that's what we're building on so that idea Andy talked about before just equal groups and how prevalent that is throughout all years in a multitude of different situations not just for fractions but then you can start to develop that idea around asking assessment questions around that and developing your own understanding and it kind of changes the lens and I think having those wee conversations with people that that may be easily accessible to them that that they they might just start to see things differently and I think that can help get conversations going and and it's almost like oh yeah when that understanding grows 
we can kind of start to label that and maybe we should be looking for that and perhaps that's a good thing. So I think it's, I always think there's a real skill involved and, and certainly people that I've found that I've learned a lot from, there's a real skill involved in being able to kind of pick out those right, small, graspable, attainable ideas that can just give me enough, but I, can, I don't have to work too hard to get them, but it will kind of open three doors. And once I've been through each of those three doors, it's another three doors. So now I'm in nine doors. You know what I mean? And and I think that that, I think that that's something that that is just something to manage. Because if it's too big in a school that's not going to be supportive, you give up. I don't care who you are. At some point, you 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 say actually enough's enough. I, I want to try for the children, but actually I also want to work in a school where at the very least, they'll kind of give me a wee. Oh, you're not doing a bad job every now and then. You know, like that that that's enough. So I think I think that that kind of just understanding an idea and putting it out there for people to test for themselves without even really knowing that they're doing it, maybe maybe that's a way in. And that whole healthy school environment where also, you know, you're going to forgive your teachers if they get it wrong a little bit too, right? So it's like saying, okay, like you guys go and collaborate and work together. And yeah, you know what? You might come up with something really silly and it might not work at all. <laughs> but that's okay because... That's a learning experience, and and now you know that that didn't work, and now you can go and figure out why it didn't work, and it may be that actually the idea was good, but the implementation wasn't correct, or vice versa, or whatever, you know, and 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 creating those healthy environments, um, where you know school is a learning environment, not just for the students, but it's for the entire faculty and everything, right? And it's working together uh, to become better all the time, you know, and and if you have that. Um, over time, you'll just get a lot better. That's just the reality of it, right? And if you don't have that, you'll probably get worse. And that's just, that's what we want to model for our students is that you, that the, the, we're going to try this, take a risk. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on this 